0: From Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries, this is the Gary Talks About God podcast. We were called day one. That was Palm Sunday. That was the triumphal entry where Jesus comes in and starts the Passion Week, and we looked at that. Day two would have been Monday. We saw him go back in, cleanse the temple, uh, gets in, and, and gets upset with religious leaders, so that was that was day two. Day three. He, he goes back in with the fig tree, the visual parable of the cursing of the fig tree. Uh, day four basically is, is, is kind of a quiet time. <laughs> it, it's kind of quiet in, in the passion narrative, which brings us to day five, which would be Thursday, Matthew uh, 26, 1 and following. And really all the teaching in that you have in Matthew 22 through, through 25 is happening on day three. And that's the day that Jesus is preaching, talking, answering the questions of the Pharisees and the scribes. That's where he goes into an extended discourse about uh, the Olivet Discourse about his second coming. And so all those events have transpired. And so now we're, we're on a Thursday. We're just a couple days before... His crucifixion, we're we're the day before his arrest. And so we're we're right there where the passion narrative just just picks up steam. And this morning we're going to read the first 17 verses or first 16 verses of Matthew 26. And as we read that. I kept thinking about, all right, how am I going to introduce this? What, how, what, what's, what's the lead in? And I kept coming back to a sandwich. Uh, I mean, I, I wasn't particularly hungry when I wrote this. I mean, it was in the morning, so it wasn't lunchtime or anything. But I, I, I just, I kept coming back to a sandwich because as we read this, it seems like of the three events, the one in the middle is just sandwiched between the other two. And as it is sandwiched between those other two, it per- just a, a, a very stark contrast to the other two events. Sort of like if you have a, a hamburger, the, the bun is very different on each end than, than the hamburger in the middle. Most of us could do away with the bun and just be happy with the hamburger. It's different. It stands in contrast. It's markedly different. And as you come here and you read these these 16 chapters, you will also see in those events, the, the event number two is much bigger, goes in much more detail than the first two. And it's there to provide a tremendous contrast for us. So we're going to read Matthew 26 this morning. We're going to look at the three events, and then we're going to examine the contrast that our attention is being drawn to. So Matthew 26 Verse 1 said, When Jesus had finished all these sayings. So just real quickly, that means that He's not teaching anymore. He has finished all His teachings. So what you see from here on out is the unfolding actions of the passion narrative. We're not going to come to another extended discourse where Jesus is giving another parable or teaching about His second coming. All of that has happened. He is now moving straight to the cross. The cross is just hours away from him, and that is what his focus is on. So when he had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priest and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth And kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be any uproar among the people. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing for to me, for you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring out this ointment on my body she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. I hope as we are reading those verses that you picked up on the three events. And I hope that you could just see, even if you maybe can't articulate at the moment the contrast, that you could see that there is one (laughs) that is very, very different than the other two. So let's examine the events this morning, and I just, there, there's no, it's just event number one, the scheme, and it involves the chief priest, it involves Caiaphas, and I called it the scheme deliberately, which if you were joining us on Wednesday night, you would have hopefully picked up immediately and connected that back to our Wednesday night Bible study. So here we are, two days before the Passover. That, that's what it tells us. It says the Passover is, is, is coming. Jesus says in two days the Passover is coming. So this is happening two days. The people are in the city. It's overflowing with, with people. And, and while all this is happening in the background of everybody coming to worship, everybody coming to make the offering, everybody gathering together, getting all the herbs, doing everything, doing all the preparation for the Passover, It tells us that in the background, the religious leaders who should have been what? What should they have been doing? Prepping for the Passover, right? It tells us the chief priest and the elders. What is the role of the chief priest? To facilitate the Passover. They should have been preparing, making sure that everything is ready. Instead, instead, they are scheming. The chief priests and the elders of the people, meaning the leaders of the tribes, had gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas. And we're introduced to the high priest by name. We're told his his name is, is, is Caiaphas. Now, at this time, the priesthood had become corrupted. You're supposed to be descended from the line of Aaron, but by now with the Roman occupation, Rome would install who they wanted to be chief priest. And if they didn't like you, they would remove you and put you back in and put in another chief priest. And if you didn't do a good job, they would take you out. Now, a good job to Rome had nothing to do with how well the chief priest ministered in the temple and followed God's law when it came to worship and sacrifice. A good chief priest meant... They didn't cause trouble for Rome. They were happy with the status quo. So when I tell you that Caiaphas had been serving in that position for 18 years at this point, what does that tell you about the man Caiaphas? It tells you he didn't care. He wasn't really that concerned with the things of God, because if he was concerned with the things of God, Rome's going to replace him. But obviously, Caiaphas was really good and had great uh, political ability and was was what? He was acceptable to Rome. And so they left him there. So you can see the problem. Because on this particular Passover, he's he's officiated over Passovers and everything's been fine. But when Jesus came in, the city was what? The, The city was in an uproar. Everybody's going, who is this man? Who is this prophet? What's going on? They're singing Hosanna. Everything, now all of a sudden, there's there's an excitement maybe in the Passover that hasn't been there. And and remember at the end it said, look, y'all got to calm down. There's going to be a riot. We don't want that to happen. So Caiaphas has a problem. And the problem has a name. And the name of the problem is Jesus. Jesus is going to come in, and he is going to cause the high priest all kinds of problems. Now let that sink in for a minute. All right, this is Jesus, the Son of God, the Anointed One, the Messiah. Who Jesus, or who God has predicted since Genesis three fifteen that one is coming. This is the one that all the prophets spoke about. This is the one that Caiaphas should know about. This is God in the flesh coming into the temple. And all Caiaphas can see is that God is causing problems, <laughs> right? Did y'all, did y'all look at the study guide a couple weeks ago? Don't nod because if you don't nod, I will be, I'm gonna like, be—I don't want to be disappointed. I know that you all did. In my mind, you all looked at the study guide from a couple weeks ago. Y'all remember one question on the one question on that study guide really kind of zing you—the one about what would Jesus say if he walked in the Red Bank and worshipped with us? Right. Well, let's 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 flip that question. What would we say if we saw Jesus walk in? Right. See, Gary. See, <laughs> see, Gary. <laughs> I'd be like, "Have you met my deacon?" His name's Greg. <laughs> hey, hey, we're a Baptist church. We know deacons run the church. You know. No, I'm sorry, that's gonna get me in trouble on Facebook. Oh my goodness. Right. Would would we see if Jesus walked, Would we see Jesus as an obstacle to our worship? Because that's what Caiaphas is seeing. He's an obstacle, so he's got to come up with a scheme. He's got to come up with a plan. We've got to get rid of this Jesus. We have got to do something about him. And he says, we gotta do something. He says, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And there's a, there's a little bit of debate about that, whether or not that means not in the presence of all the people or during the actual feast. It reads a little bit more like in the presence of all the people that if we could kind of get him while nobody is looking and kind of just whisk Jesus away and and be done with him before Passover is, is over. We'll have a much calmer Passover. We just don't want to do it if he's in the middle of the crowd. So they're scheming. Caiaphas, the chief priest, they are scheming. So that's event number one. But then we have event number two. And event number two, it says now. It immediately transports us to an entirely different location. We were in the the palace of the high priest earlier. Now we are in a completely different place. We're back in Bethany, and we're told that we are in the house of Simon the leper. When you meet him in heaven, drop those last two words. Don't walk up to him and say, hey, Simon the leper. Just just go with Simon. Simon. OK? Just, just uses his first name. Now, this, for just a moment, let's, let's think about it. That's in a s- stunning statement. Simon the leper. Now leprosy has both it was used both generally and specifically. There is a specific disease called leprosy. But at the same time, there are many skin diseases at this time that, that would be lumped together as leprosy. I think the best analogy for us today is when somebody say, I've got a migraine, right? Usually what that means is they have a really bad headache. At the same time, migraines are a diagnosable, you know, specific type of headache. They probably don't have a migraine. They probably just have a really bad headache. But we just kind of say, hey, I've got a migraine. Now, for them to be in Simon the leper's house, something has had to happen to Simon. Because if you had leprosy, no one was around you. Right? There's a reason that people say, well, we treated him like a leper. Well, what did that mean? I mean, We had nothing to do with him. Lepers lived off by themselves. They walked through town. They had to walk through yelling unclean so nobody would come in contact with them. You would not go into the house of somebody who had leprosy. They wouldn't have a house. Somehow, Simon has been healed of that. Either it was a skin disease that an ointment could cure, or because I can and we don't know, I like to think that maybe Jesus cured him. Maybe he did have leprosy. Because we have stories of lepers coming to Jesus. Maybe it's not far-fetched to assume one of the lepers were Simon. Again, it's not stated that in the Bible, okay? You understand that. But somehow, Simon is clean. And there are people in his house. There's a feast, right? It says, Jesus reclined at the table. They're having a dinner. And as we're having this dinner, we're introduced to a woman. Just just says a woman. Comes up behind Jesus with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment. Breaks it open and pours it over the head of Jesus. Anoints him. Now the fact that, two things here. One, we're told it's an alabaster flask. For us, that means nothing. For the readers of the time, just the the mention of the flask itself was an indication of how expensive it was. And then we're told not only that, but it was very expensive ointment. Very expensive. What she's about to do is going to be costly. It's a tremendous sacrifice. Now, I, I, we need to p- connect a couple Bible dots together. But for just a moment, we're, I'm going to tell you who the woman is. But I also want you to remember that there's a very important reason that the woman is not named. As you read this, did you notice all the names? Right? We got Caiaphas, we got Jesus, we got Judas. We don't know the woman's name in Matthew. Okay? So just a couple Bible pieces to put together so you can see the puzzle. Every gospel account has a story of Jesus being anointed. The account in Matthew and Mark are, are almost identical. When you get to John's account, John's account tells us who was there. And we find out that the woman is Mary. Mary of Bethany, whose sister was Martha, whose brother was Lazarus. John's account's a little bit different. However, it seems to be the same account that is recorded in Matthew and Mark. There's another account of anointing in Luke, which appears to be a very different account. There's too many differences, okay? First of all, it, it's, it's not Simon the leper. It's just we're, they're in Simon's house and you're going, Gary, but this is the same name. Yeah, it's kind of like being named Mike, okay? Simon was like a Mike. A- everybody was named Simon, right? We talk about Marys. It's hard to keep track of all the Marys in the Bible. There's so many of them. Okay, but what we find out is that Luke's account, the sinful woman, remains unnamed. We don't know who the sinful woman is. It's not, it does not appear to be Mary Magdalene. I know for a very long time that has kind of been the idea that it was Mary Magdalene. It's not Mary Magdalene. It's not Mary of Bethany. It appears to be an unnamed sinful woman. But in Matthew's account, it is Mary of Bethany. So she walks in with this ointment. Think thick perfume okay and very expensive mark's account tells us that it was worth a year's worth of wages guys i love you you know how much i love Atlanta. <laughs> you know i love her with all my heart ain't no way i'm spending a year's worth of my wages on perfume it Ain't it just it ain't happening i know every husband here and every guy here goes i'm not doing that either all right but this, this is how expensive it was, All right? It's costly. It's going to cost her something. So she goes up, she breaks, and when she opens the flask, she ruins the flask. The flask can't be used again. It doesn't have a cork in it, okay? Pours this, anointment, this, this ointment over Jesus' head. And look at verse 8. Tell me if you've seen this word before. It says, And the disciples were what? Indignant. Hmm. I think we saw that a little while ago, didn't we? Where the the rulers, the chief priests, the religious people, uh, when Jesus came in, they were what? They were indignant. All of a sudden, now again, the disciples, it's the disciples' turn. They're indignant. What? Jesus, hey, this is too extravagant, even for you. It's too extravagant. And I love this, right? Because what the disciples say, and by the way, they didn't want Jesus to hear. Because right? when you read the text, it, it says when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, and then Jesus was aware. So they were hoping that Jesus didn't hear this, which I, I, I find funny, right? But the disciples used all this. Now tell me if this doesn't sound like us. Jesus, they could have used that money for the poor, right? They could have given that money to, to help the poor. Now, before you go, we would have never done How many times have you looked at, at, at maybe a church budget somewhere else? Well, we, we could have used that money over here. Or why'd you buy that car? You, you know, you could have bought a cheaper car and used that money for missions, right? Hey, let's, let's throw small stones because if they get thrown at us, they're going to hurt. They use that excuse. And Jesus looks at him and says, look, look, leave her alone. You're, you're always going to have the poor with you. Minister to the poor. He does not say that it is a bad thing. He does not say ignore the poor. He says, look, what she is doing right now, though, what she is doing right now is a beautiful thing. And he connects it back to verse 2. Because verse 2, as he is talking, he says to them what? You know that in two days after the Passover, I will be delivered up to be crucified. And so Jesus says, as she anoints me, that what she is really doing is that she is preparing my body For burial. Now, I know this goes without saying, but you bury somebody who is dead. (laughs) Okay? Once again, Jesus is pointing to the cross, He is pointing to His death, and He's saying, What Mary is doing to me now, what this woman is doing to me now, is what His executioners will not do to Him. Because when you're crucified on the cross, you don't get a burial. You get chucked into the valley and left or burned when they decide to burn all the refuse in the valley. You don't get to bury the body. He's saying, I'm going to hang on the cross and I'm going to die on the cross for your sins and all this is going to happen and I'm not going to be, my body is not going to be prepared for burial like it's supposed to be. But here is Mary who sees what is happening coming to anoint me. Because what she is doing is preparing me. in his shameful and, and the dishonorable death that he is going to endure. Mary is saying, I'm going to prepare you now. I'm going to anoint your body now. And Jesus says, this, this is so important. What she is doing is so important that her action is going to be remembered throughout all eternity. Everywhere the gospel is proclaimed, her action is going to be remembered because it is an action of absolute and total devotion. She is devoted to Jesus. And her extravagance in coming and making that sacrifice is an affirmation of, of just the magnitude of, of the incalculable value of the death of Jesus Christ on the death, on, on the cross. Because if it was not for His death and burial and resurrection, you know what? There's not going to be a gospel. Right? Jesus says, as, as the gospel is proclaimed, for there to be a gospel, a good news to proclaim, there's got to be a death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that He defeats sin, right? We're talking about being delivered up. He's delivered up for our transgressions and then raised for our justification. The only way that there is good news is through the cross. And Jesus says her act, her sacrifice is going to be remembered throughout all time. But then, almost like whiplash, right? We're over here in the palace. now we're over here, and we're riding high. wow, this this act of devotion by the woman is incredible. All of a sudden we're we're thrown right back in to another event. And it's an event of betrayal. right? The leaders are scheming, and they need somebody to help them. they They need an accomplice. right? Maybe when they were talking about the scheme, it's like, hey, why don't we try to infiltrate the twelve? Right? You could hear them playing Mission Impossible music. Let's find a spot. Do 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 do. do, do. Right? I like Mission Impossible, both the TV show and the movies. I guess y'all didn't. Okay, we'll move on. But they need an accomplice. They want somebody to help them. But what? what we recall and shocking in verse 12 is not that the chief priest approached them, but one of them approaches the chief priest. Right? Judas went to the chief priest. He went to them. The person who betrays Jesus is not going to be a stranger. It's not going to be some random person in the city who knows that the chief priests don't like him and looking to make a quick buck. It's not going to be somebody who's maybe on the outskirts of the leadership of the city who wants to, by betraying Jesus and turning him over, be elevated in society. It's not going to be by the chief priest because he doesn't want to go out and get his hands dirty in front of everybody. He doesn't want the riot. So they need somebody to betray Jesus, and it's going to come from a friend. It's going to come from an ally, and, and and we're just we're just shocked. We're just we're we're just shocked. Why, why, why would a disciple go to the to the chief priest? Why, why would somebody who's been with Jesus for three years turn their back on him? Why would somebody who heard him teach say I'm going to the cross for your sins? Why, why would somebody say you know what? Never mind. Never, never mind. I, I, I want to go then and betray Jesus. And, and the way that Matthew presents it, it's just so matter of fact. I mean, the brutality of those verses is just the way it's written, right? I mean, we're stunned that it's one of the 12, but Matthew is just matter of fact. You ever read something, that's just, it's just the facts. And it, it's somehow in the, in, in the way that they just tell you the facts makes it hurt worse where if maybe they had put it in poetic language or tried to, to set the scene a little bit more, it would take away the brunt of the news. But just that, that news, I mean, it's just shocking. It just hits us like a sledgehammer. Then Judas, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? you know, one of the questions that we have always tried to ask, that believers have tried to answer is, Why? It'd be nice if we had this sentence somewhere in the Bible. Judas decided to betray Jesus because... Because then we could go in and we could answer the question. We we have no idea, which has led to all kinds of speculations. One was because the name Iscariot is kind of a... uh, It's an interesting name. And it either means that you're from the city of Keroth, which was in south Israel. Right? So he was a southern boy. And, and all the other disciples were northerners. And if you've ever been a southerner in the northern part of the states, you know that you fill out a place. And so maybe this, this southern boy Judas didn't like all the northerners, and they were getting all the attention, and so he betrayed them. Seems kind of far-fetched to me. Another one is the, the derivation of his name is, is Sicaria, which, which meant um, zealots who were looking for a political messiah, who wanted to overthrow Rome violently. And and maybe he thought that that's what Jesus was going to do, and and he's not. A lot of people have speculated, well, he was just greedy. You know, 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver is not much. If you go back into the Old Testament and and, and you look in Exodus, and I, I... it's, it's in one of those long lists. I think it's around Exodus 23. You start looking at the list. 30 pieces of silver is how much you had to pay if a bull gored a slave. So 30 pieces of silver is not much. 1,500 years on from the command in Exodus. Inflation, it's, it's, it's not a lot of money. Maybe 20 bucks today. It's not a lot. I know he was the treasurer, but I, I don't know that it's not a lot. When was the last time you read somebody getting arrested for embezzling $20? usually has several other zeros after it. And I think when people come to all these ideas, basically they're missing from the forest for the trees. Jesus, when Judas looked at him, after three and a half years, Judas just decided Jesus wasn't who he wanted him to be. Just Jesus wasn't enough for him. What, what, whatever the enough was, Jesus wasn't enough. Right? And that's hard to to accept because we know that some people that we know who don't know Jesus don't know Christ. Jesus isn't enough for him. He's not presenting them with what they want. And let's not even turn the mirror on ourselves and look at the times when, as believers, Jesus isn't enough for us because that's going to be too painful. But sometimes... Sadly, we think Jesus just isn't enough. And Judas decided to betray him. So what do we take away from these, these events? What, what, what about the contrast? Right? What, what, what do we do with the contrast? Well, I want you to see quickly as we end, just, just three contrasts. And I know that it's Mary but one of the great contrasts in the story is she is unnamed. And so in the points on the contrast, I've called her the woman. So the first is this, it's a contrast of love. And it's between the woman and the traitors. Right? And it's what makes her actions all the more incredible. Her actions are so different than that of Caiaphas. Caiaphas sees Jesus as a problem and, and wants to get rid of him. Mary, or, or the woman sitting at Jesus, sees, no, I, I need more of him. Judas is over here going, Jesus isn't everything that I want him to be. And Mary, and I'm going to keep calling her Mary even though I said the woman. Mary's looking at Jesus and going, absolutely not. He is everything that I need him to be. He is everything to me. They hate him. She loves him. He's not the Messiah that the chief priest in Judah is looking for. She, and he is the Savior that she is looking for, and she loves Him. They can't see beside, behind their power, their comfort, uh, uh, their, their world not being rocked. And, and Mary is sitting over here going, all I can see is I need you as my Savior. And while they're over here scheming, and trying to, to betray Him and, and, and lead Him to the cross, Mary is going, I, I I love you so much that I am willing to worship you and sacrifice you. And, and, and a sacrifice that is so magnificent that even the disciples get mad. A sacrifice of love that is so incredible that Jesus says, it's going to be told, Mary, thousands of years from now, when people read about the gospel, they're going to read about what you did. Because it's amazing. And it's an amazing and beautiful demonstration of her love and devotion for Jesus. So it's a contrast of love. Secondly, it's a contrast of fidelity. And this is between the woman and the disciples. They still don't get it. They still don't get it. <laughs> He just said, in two days, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to the cross. He, he's, he's taught them for hours the Olivet Discourse and about, hey, I've got to come again, so to come again, I've got to leave, and this is how I'm going to leave. And he curses the fig tree, and he's taught them all this stuff, and he's been with them, and he's calmed the waves, and he's healed the sick, and he's healed the lepers, and he's driven out the, the, the demons. And he said, all of this is so that you can see the kingdom of God, so that you can see that I'm the Messiah to come and save you from your sin but i got to die first. And three and a half years later, the guys don't get it. They don't understand. All right? Peter, Jesus, you're, you're not going to the cross. You, you, just let me at them. I'll take care of them for you. John and James, Jesus is teaching, and he's talking about his death and crucifixion. And what, what do John and James come up and say? Hey, Jesus, I know one day we're going to be in heaven. Can one of us sit over here, and can one of us sit over there? They don't get it, but the woman, <laughs> she does. She understands. She knows what two days is the Passover, and then I will be delivered up means. And she is going to be faithful to Jesus. She's going to be faithful to Him. In just a couple days, Jesus is going to be hanging on the cross. And one of the things I can never understand about crucifixion or about the Coliseum games is partly because of me is why people just want to go and watch that. I don't like that. Never have. Still haven't seen The Passion of the Christ to this day. Can't watch it. Don't like it. Wouldn't want to go be a spectator. But when they talk about the people who are at the cross, who is not there? Any of the disciples. Any of the men. Peter denied Him three times and has fled. The other disciples have fled. Matthew, James, John, Simon, Thomas. They're all gone. Where'd they go? Where do we find them? hiding behind a locked door. Who are we told is at the cross? The women. Right? From afar off, the women were looking at a distance who had been following Jesus from Galilee. They've been following Him just as long, and you know what? They got it. They understood And while Mary of Bethany is not specifically mentioned, because there's a lot of Marys at the cross, and you kind of got to weed through which Marys are there. Mary of Bethany specifically, she is not named, but in the list it just says the women, the women. Well, there's a lot more women in the Gospels, including Mary, who anoints Jesus. And again, while it's not specifically stated, is it really too difficult to see her standing there with all the other Marys and all the other women? Because she was faithful. She was faithful. But then it's a contrast of magnitude. Contrast of magnitude. And this is between the woman and Jesus. We see how much Mary loves Jesus. We see her understanding. But we see how much Jesus loves Mary and loves the disciples. And though Mary's love for Jesus is great, Jesus' love is extravagant. Right? He says, I'm going to be delivered up. I'm going to be crucified. And that was the plan from the beginning. That was God's plan. God is in control of the plan. Caiaphas thinks he's in control. Judas thinks he is in control, but they're not. They don't understand the plan. Pilate, Herod, they're not in control. The scribes, the elders, they're not in control. The guards who arrest Jesus, they're not in control. Every one of them thinks that they are in control, but they're not. Every one of them thinks, hey, we're delivering Jesus up. We're offering him up. And the answer is absolutely not, because Jesus says he's going to go and he's going to deliver himself up. Why? To be crucified. That's the plan. And he knows it, and he's going to to it. He's willingly given himself up according to God's plan. And in his crucifixion, what we see is God's extravagant love. I mean, there's no, I don't know, extravagant love, even when I say it just now, it looked really good when I typed it out, you know, nice big word, extravagant, but now just, just saying it doesn't seem to be enough. How do you describe a greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends? Jesus is going to lay down his life for his friends so that they can be saved because if he doesn't do that, they are eternally separated from God. He's going to go lay down his life, offer up his body to be broken, offer up his blood so we can be atoned. He is going to go and demonstrate his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a contrast of extravagance, that he is willing to do that so that you, so that me, and so that whosoever will confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead will be saved. That is an extravagance. That is really beyond description. It's beyond words. No no words are enough to describe the depth of that love. But he was willing to do that. He was going to go die for Mary. He was going to go die for his disciples. He was going to go die for Judas. Judas. Had Judas come to his senses, much like the, the man in, in, in the parable that runs away, it says, when he came to himself. Had Judas later on, when he come to himself, came back to Jesus and said, Jesus, forgive me, I don't know what happened. He would have saved him. Right? We know that's true because Peter leaves and then Peter comes back. Peter came to his senses and turns to Christ. Christ. What an extravagant love that Jesus was willing to go and die on a cross for a bunch of sinners like us sitting in Red Bank this morning. It's just amazing that Jesus loved us as much as he did. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves me and you. He gave his life on Calvary's tree. What more could he do? Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe.